This episode was recorded during the SAG After Strike. As fans and content creators, we stand in solidarity with the creatives currently on strike. There's power in a union. I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Oh. Oh, you've turned into a werewolf. Hold on. Where are my silver bullets at? It's a were ferret. Thank you. Yes, we it's are just ba- all all where animals get the ability to howl. Mm. People don't know that. Ah. Anyway, uh, yes, it is still the spooky season. This is our Halloween episode, and we are back in talking about the MCU, and we're talking about the the Halloween special from the last year and this year, Werewolf by Night. The original special was released last year in black and white, and just a few days ago, as this re- as this recording is happening, they've re-released it in color, which is a choice. Uh, I remember when the trailers for the special were coming out and when the special actually released, there were some people who just, they did not want to watch a thing that was in black and white, and... If you're one of those people who do not want to watch scenes in black and white, I feel sorry for you because, like, I can tell, I don't know about my co-host, but me, myself, I loved watching the original black and white Universal Monster movies around Halloween time growing up. Oh, yeah. I mean, who who, who doesn't like those old Universal Monster movies? Apparently some, because, like, there were people who just did not want to watch a black and white Marvel movie. Or not even a movie, a one-hour special. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and this was also kind of based on a lot of the old Hammer Horror films, which I love. And a lot of old B-movies. And stuff like that. So, I mean, this this was very much when they announced that this was what they were doing, or at least this was how they were doing it. I was like, oh, yeah, that that sounds like my thing. I just feel bad because uh, they did have Elsa Bloodstone in the park and like nobody knew who she was like. So none of you saw Werewolf by Night at all. Well, the thing is, is that, I mean, I think I told you the story when, when it actually happened, but I was at the park last year during the Halloween season, and I was in Avengers Campus and wandering around and various characters were wandering in and out, and all of a sudden on a balcony a character walked out and i didn't see the character at first but some people were were going like hey there's a there's a character up on the balcony 
And they were like, I don't know who that is. I don't, I don't know who that is. And I looked up and I was like, I also do not know who that is. And so I was in the park with our good friend, Adam, who guests on the show a lot and his lovely wife. And the three of us were standing there and we were like, okay, I know every single MCU character. Who is that? (laughs) And it took me a second because all of a sudden I saw the bloodstone hanging from her belt. And I went, oh, it's the chick from Werewolf by Night because I had just seen it before flying out to California. Adam and his wife had not seen it yet. So they had no context because they had not been able to watch the special yet. And I had watched it like, I don't know, the night before or maybe even on the plane or something. I don't remember. But I didn't recognize her because weirdly she was in color because <laughs> it was a real life person. And so she was dressed like, and the only time you see her in color in the original format is the very kind of final shot. You see her for like 20 seconds and it colorizes. Um, And so I did not recognize the costume or, you know, whatever, because of the black and white nature, the only thing I recognized was the bloodstone prop. And the interesting thing is, is, is I was like, oh, that's, that's who it is. And we were all like, do we want to snap a picture of her? And we were all like, "Mm, no. (laughs) And the thing is, is I felt bad for the poor cast member Because she stood out there for a while and was, like, posing. And, you know, I mean, she looked amazing. But literally no one stopped to take a picture. She was out there for, like, 30 or 45 minutes. And other than people stopping and going, who is that? Is that, like, a Black Widow in a different costume? Or maybe it's Scarlet Witch because she had a red coat on or something? Um nobody stopped and took a picture like even out of curiosity it was just a bunch of people going i have no idea who that is and then walking on and i think maybe it's because they're not used to seeing her color maybe it's just like again i'm pretty sure there was a number while it did get a lot of views according to what disney said i just think that people were not turned off by it being in black and white which saddens me as a fan of of Again, we did earlier this year cover the black and white era of Doctor Who. So it's like, it's okay to watch old things. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, is the, the reason why it ended up being in black and white, because it seems like it wasn't originally planned to be in black and white. Hmm. Because um, it was directed by Michael Giacchino. This was his first not his first directing job because he had directed some shorts or whatever but this was really his first like 
proper directing job, I guess you'd say. Um, and, you know, we've talked about Michael Giacchino a lot because, of course, he is the the main um, composer, I guess, for the MCU now. Um, but the thing is, is that it seems like because this was a horror thing and because it was rather bloody in the the final cut the way it was going they were worried about it being TVMA with all the the blood and dismemberment and stuff. And so it seems like they decided to finally do the black and white pastiche in order to make it more TV 14 or whatever the, the one down is. Mm-hmm. Um, because they thought it would make it less terrifying and less gory. Kind of reminds me of uh, Kill Bill. There's that big scene where where Uma Thurman is taking on all of all of those uh, assassins, and it suddenly changes into black and white because it because it becomes a blood fest, and that was the only way they could keep, they could keep their rating. So I it that's that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about humans that that's, like, how we do things. It's that Family Guy joke where they talk about menstrual product commercials. Mm-hmm. And they're, they have the joke about, like, no, make it blue. You can show whatever you want as much as you want, but make it blue that's that was the agreement we made you have to make it blue you know and the idea that for some reason if we show blood as red then it's gory and horrible but if we show blood as chocolate syrup you know that's the whole thing with Psycho. Mm-hmm. There, it was there was color film at the time, but Hitchcock chose to do black and white because the famous shower scene would be less gruesome, you know, and gory if it wasn't bright red. And was instead chocolate syrup for the blood. Mm. You know? And I'm thinking... What is that about us that, like... Because having seen this now in both the black and white version and the color version... I'm not sure I find it any more gory... 
Especially there's that scene where where Jack is full werewolf and just tearing everybody up and there's like the screen gets splattered with blood and think, oh wow, is this gonna become a gore fest in the color version? No, it's it's the blood is still black. You're not really getting anything out of it. Well, yeah, the interesting thing is is that I I kinda call that our our Daredevil hallway scene because it's filmed almost like an homage to the Daredevil hallway scene. Um but having seen that that scene now in black and white and in color, I think it works a little bit better in black and white because of the way that the lighting is filmed and the the color saturation. I I don't know if they went back and tweaked the color in that scene because you're right it does look a little chocolate syrupy in the colorized version instead of like when the lights flash because it is you know if you if you honestly if you haven't seen the werewolf by night special and i don't know why you're listening to this if you haven't but if if you know anybody who's thinking about watching it Remind them that there are a lot of flashing lights once the werewolf part begins, because this probably should come with like a photosensitive warning, and I don't think it does. I may be wrong, but once the the actual werewolf transformation part begins, they use a lot of strobe light effects to get across... The, like, you know, oh, we're trying not to completely show the werewolf makeup, but give you glimpses of it to increase the terror, or we're trying to show the blood splatters as the lights flicker on and off, and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that it would give people, you know, I have some mild photosensitivity, but um if you if you have like photosensitive epilepsy or something this might be a a bit of a trigger for you um it somehow is not as intense in the black and white version at least for me yeah i i think that the color makes the photosensitivity a little worse at least it was for me. I think in the black and white version, the flashing light effects are not as pronounced. Um, but especially the fact that it uses so much red with the um, Elsa's jacket and also the bloodstone effects for some reason that and the strobe light together um i think was a bit more uh triggering for for my specific issues mm-hmm. um it didn't like you know my my stuff triggers migraines and everything and fortunately it didn't do that for me in this time but i was like mm, i think if this went on just a little bit longer it could become a problem. So I don't know how other people would react to it. 
But I think you're right. I think it's less of an issue in the black and white. But there are things that I think come across better in color. Like the guards in the Bloodstone Manor in the in the werewolf scene, I didn't realize how much they evoked the TVA. With their, with their sticks, their cattle prods? Yeah, they're cattle prods that are not quite pruning sticks, but it almost feels like the prop department was using that a similar design. Um, and same thing with the armor. You get a little more detail when you look at it in color because the definition comes across a little bit better Mm -hmm. um man thing ted our adorable ted he looks so much better in color you really only get to see him of course you know there is that colorized bit at the end of the black and white version But being able to see him through the entire maze hunt sequence in full color, you really see the detail in the character design. You get to see all of the vines and the fungi and, you know, the the little floral bits and stuff and it really lets you appreciate the detail that went into creating the look of the character Mm. and you don't really see that as as defined in the black and white version and those red eyes oh the eyes just come across so beautifully in the colorized version I mean, Man-Thing is probably the the part of the the thing that comes across better in the colorized version. Since you've, I mean, kind of backtrack here, because I want to go a little into the backstory of all of this stuff. But uh, you mentioned the Hammer films, and that was a result of the popularity of the classic Universal movies finally airing on television in the... 50s, 60s, and early 70s. So it kind of gave this big revival of the monster movies, which was which led to the Hammer films. But every comic book company decided to jump on that bandwagon and started producing horror comics. This is where we get the characters that we see in this special. Ulysses Bloodstone, uh, Jack Russell, Man Thing, all of these characters were started in the 70s because of the popularity of the Universal Monster movies, and Marvel wanted some of that money. Which, when this was announced, that was my big thought. Marvel has a lot of these characters that, if this special does well, could easily become an annual thing. Like, Marvel has their own version of the Frankenstein monster. They have the living mummy and so many other uh, Dracula. Dracula exists in the Marvel universe. 
Yeah, so, I mean, Dracula is just, you know, public domain at this point. So everybody's got Dracula. But Dracula, Dracula and Nesferatu are separate characters in the Marvel Universe. But the idea of that they could come back to these characters, this world of Marvel horror as a potential annual Halloween special. That is what really made me interested in Werewolf by Night and wanting it to succeed. Because, you know, Marvel's Frankenstein, Marvel's Dracula, the living mummy, another werewolf by night, a Man-Thing solo thing. Uh, We know that a Blade movie is coming. We don't know who's directing it now and possibly who's even starring in it now. But it's coming at some point. (laughs) But it's, 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 it's not that interesting idea. Of all of these monster characters that were created in the 70s getting new life in these Halloween specials. You don't need to make a whole movie about it. You don't need to make a series about it. One hour Halloween special. I'm satisfied. Which also brings us to Elsa Bloodstone. A character that started out in the early 2000s as an answer to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No, I'm not making that up. It, the Buffy got popular. Marvel wanted some of that. So they created a daughter for Ulysses Bloodstone named Elsa that was a monster hunter that was just their answer to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's kind of funny that now, because Disney bought 20th Century Fox, they technically, they technically own Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Elsa Bloodstone is kind of why I do like they kind of changed her persona for this one instead of being a more. The comics version of Elsa Bloodstone is very hypersexualized and she uses like two guns and all that. And they kind of strip that away for the film for this version, which I do like that she doesn't really use the gun. She's not as sexualized and definitely not. A Buffy ripoff. Yeah, I mean, she, I mean, she's definitely an attractive woman. You know, the actress is an attractive woman, and they, that costume is awesome. Like, who wouldn't want that costume? But the way they play her is not like there's some. There's some mild romantic tension between Elsa and Jack in the the fact that you could see that if they met again under different circumstances, maybe something would develop. But that is not the point of this story. Mm. You know? Mm. It's, It's not like... You know, honestly, there seems to be more sexual tension or romantic tension, depending on how you read it, between Jack and Ted. (laughs) I could see it. It could be romantic. It could be just two bros, depending on how you want to look at things. Man thing especially, I mean, to once again go back into that origin 
yes, he kind of looks like Swamp Thing. The beauty about it is both characters were created independently by both Marvel and DC at the same time, and their comics came out the same month. As far as I'm aware, no one talked to the other about creating this character, even though the creator of Man-Thing and the creator of Swamp-Thing were roommates. One worked for Marvel, one worked for DC. You know, gonna... you know that there that there had to be like some kind of mold infestation in the apartment or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> they were just both looking at it and being like, hmm, character ideas, character ideas. <laughs> yeah. What if that crap in the sink were sentient? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um it is really kind of cool how they they pull off man thing apparently they were going to have someone refer to what they were hunting as a giant size man thing at some point in this and then they figured that would be too cheesy and I'm like how dare you this is a comic book movie Please bring me all of the cheese. Is that a man or a thing? It's a man thing. A giant size man thing. Like, you know, there's a reason why everybody likes the Deadpool movies. And it's because it's like, hi, I'm a comic book movie. I'm a be a comic book movie. Like, you know, can, can we... Not everything has to be like... Christopher Nolan's Batman or something, you know, like yeah. Can can we please just have goofy ass comic book movies and that, that have cool. like stupid jokes in them? And like, that's why so many people like the Marvel Marvel the MCU movies to begin with because it wasn't it was supposed to be the one that weren't afraid to be comic book movies. Yeah, I mean, I I want. I want yellow and blue spandex. I want <laughs> I want really silly inside jokes. I I want stuff that is not afraid to be absolutely bonkers off the wall nutter butters, you know? I mean, is that the you know, is that the first time man thing has had a screen appearance. There was that 2005 Man Thing movie, but it it, it made Man Thing the villain, and I think that was like the biggest the, the 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 biggest mistake of that movie. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, it's not the first time Man Thing has shown up in the MCU. Oh yeah, we gotta talk about that. <laughs> we gotta talk about the fact that Man-Thing has shown up in the MCU before, and we don't exactly know how it happened or why. You wanna drop the bomb or should I? Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, Man-Thing is on the, uh is on Jeff Goldblum's little tower there as one of his previous champions. How he got there? We don't know. How long was he there? We don't know. 
Will they ever touch upon this again? We don't know. Was it before or after this movie was set? We don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I don't know if we mentioned it when we talked about Thor Ragnarok. But, yeah, it's that. It's Beta Ray Bill and a couple of other random Marvel characters that have never been seen since in any MCU production. Yeah, Man-Thing is the only one that has shown up since. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that they just thought when they put him up on the the tower that, that it was like, oh, you know, I'm sure Taika was like, oh, this is a funny little Easter egg because nobody's going to make a Man-Thing movie. You know? Yeah, and... Uh, I was not expecting Manthing to be in this because I knew that it was going to be the way, you know, Jack is the werewolf and Elsa Blustermann could be in it. The nowhere in any of the advertisements or anything even hinted at Manthing being even in this, or maybe I missed something. I don't know. So when he shows up, I was like, whoa, Manthing's in this movie. I had heard a rumor that Manthing might be in it. But I was like, I don't know, like, how do those two really fit together? Because honestly, I'm not, I'm not, while I am a big Marvel Comics fan, I'm not the type of person who knows everything about every Marvel character. So... Both Werewolf by Night and Man-Thing are kind of in the, the portion of Marvel Comics where, you know, I'm I'm not as up to speed. And so I was like, that seems like a weird combination to me, you know, because I didn't really know anything about either character. Also, I never really read Werewolf by Night because it has the dumbest title of maybe any Marvel comic. Like, Werewolf by Night. Yeah, that's when you're a werewolf. If it yeah, was but... Werewolf at Noon, that's <laughs> an interesting premise. Yeah, I mean, and originally it went by the traditional rules of he's only a werewolf under a full moon. And like they mention here in, in the special, but they did eventually change to whenever it's night, period, he turns into a werewolf. But, but... still, that's kind of when you expect to find a werewolf true like i said if it's like werewolf at dawn okay that that's an interesting premise maybe i need to look into that you know mm. if it's werewolf at exactly 7 45 a.m okay what's going on there you have intrigued me werewolf by night yawn that's that's when you expect a werewolf. You're you're not giving me anything. You're just a werewolf. Mm. You know? Mm. Werewolf when you expect him. Like, meh. So, I don't know. Mm. The monster designs in the blood in the bloodstone manner that you see, the two-headed creature, the the vampire creature, like it's very interesting to look at, and 
I hope that we see some of these monsters in the MCU. It would it would be so so sad if this is the only time we ever see these kind of characters. Granted, yes, there's a Blade movie, so obviously we might see vampires, but in the even in the Blade movies, they they often get very hesitant of going full humanoid bat monster in those films. Well, the thing is, is that they apparently debated quite a lot about whether or not this was going to be Blade's first appearance in the MCU. Apparently, Feige and Giacchino really sat down and was like, is this where we want to pull the cord on Blade? Because... They've hinted at Blade in a couple of other things. We've heard his voice. We've heard his voice, you know. But there was apparently a lot of behind-the-scenes talk about do we want him to cameo at some point in this special. It wouldn't make sense. He's a monster hunter, so... I don't know if he would be part of the Bloodstone tribe, but it would have been interesting. Well, here's the thing. Would he be? Because he is a daywalker. He is part vampire. Would the Bloodstone reject him in the same way it rejects Jack? Mm, Interesting. He is only part human. I don't know because, like I said, this is a portion of the comics that i am not as up on and so even there that, is somebody out there please feel free to be like well actually in you know blade number 425 i'm i'm perfectly fine if you do that please do i would love to be you know informed on that but even then the mcu is not above changing the rules of magical artifacts to fit the narrative yeah, I mean, they've already changed the name of the Bloodstone. Mm-hmm. It's called, like, the Blood Gem in the comics or whatever. But the, um, I, I think they wanted it to, to sound less like the in Infinity, you know, or, or sound more like the Infinity Stones, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they wanted people to, like, think about it in the same way as that. Awesome. So they changed it to Bloodstone instead of Blood Gem. Um, but the thing is, is that if it reacts to Jack in that way because of his curse, would it also react to Blade in that way because of the vampirism in his blood? I don't know. I don't really know the rules of Bloodstone. (laughs) Even even then, they kind of keep it vague in the special that it just affects monsters. It causes Ted, Man-Thing, immense pain because now it's attached to his body. It rejects te- uh, Jack because he's part. He's he has he has the werewolf curse, and can also activate the curse even without a full moon. Well, here's the interesting thing: in the comics, um, they don't really talk about it in this special, and I feel kind of bad because. It ties in so much with what's going on in the MCU at the point that this came out. But in the comics, the curse 
that Jack has is from the Darkhold. Um, or at least was reactivated by the Darkhold or, you know, in some kind of wibbly-wobbly way. But his curse is connected to the Darkhold, and this phase of the MCU was all about Darkhold. Yeah, I mean, side note, uh, the Agatha Harkness show apparently now has a new title again. Darkhold this is like Dyer. the seventh. Or, yeah, the seventh or eighth different retitle of the Agatha Harkness show. That may or may not even happen at this point. We're still in a writer's strike. At this, we're still in, a, at, we're still in an well, actor's strike. Excuse me, an actor. We're still in an actor's strike. <laughs> yeah, the writers can get back to work. Eventually, hopefully, we'll have some actors to go along with it. As we're recording, they're supposed to come back to the table, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, at this point, they just need to call it Agatha all along and just be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> But that's an—I mean—that's another thing. We've had these magical characters and these dark characters that you could do an entire cinematic universe of just them, like just Agatha and Jack Russell and Man Thing and Elsa Bloodstone and Blade and Ghost Rider and Doctor Strange and all of these supernatural and magical characters yes let's let's bring let's bring wanda back from the dead if she is dead i'm not sure it's been a while and put her with these characters as well oh it's the mchu yes <laughs> the marvel cinematic horror universe i am down for that yes i'm all for that i yeah i i would kind of love for there to just be like, you know, do you do you want the more? Because that's that's what the comics do. Do you want the more superhero-y Marvel universe? Well, well, you can have that. Do you want the more horror Marvel universe? Because th there's that. I mean, sometimes they overlap, but that's fine. You know, do you want? The stuff that's more like science based, because you got that. Do you want the stuff that's more magic based? Because you got that. Do you want the stuff that's just like weird anthropomorphic animals? Because you got that. You know, we have yet to de to delve into the other two types of comics that Marvel produced in the MCU. We haven't really got a true detective story yet. And we haven't really gotten a romance story yet. Because they did do romance comics and they did do detective comics. And I don't know if the audience for Marvel is ready for those two yet. I mean, I think that the audience for the detective comics is there. I'm not sure how, like, the Marvel romance thing would work outside of... Putting some romance into the existing MCU. Because I think there is a massive audience for that. The joke about how sexless the MCU is. Which is not at all a joke. It's just a straight up observation. Um, you know, I mean, like until you get to She-Hulk. I mean, I mean, you know, to, you know, the back you kind of take a bit of both the detective and the and the romance. Trish Walker from Jessica Jones, Patsy started out as a romance comic, 
And then eventually, because the romance comics stopped selling, they made her a superhero Hellcat. So I don't know if people are ready for It's Patsy the movie. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. The problem is, is that Jessica Jones bored me so much after it was done with the Purple Man, the Purple Man storyline. Because I was like, well, that was an engaging storyline. And once you were done with that storyline, uh, they didn't have an engaging storyline anymore. Mm. Like, that was an engaging storyline. I mean, even even discounting that it was David Tennant playing the character, that is a fascinating storyline. Mm-hmm. And... The storyline they kind of went into after that, not so much. It was it was not it did not grip me, and I could not keep keep going. Um, and I think the show kind of fell apart. And honestly, Patsy was kind of part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that at least in the way they did it there, they had enough to. Get, give her her own thing. They would have to rework the character and reboot it, I think. Mm. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens with Daredevil because they're they're having some trouble with that right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they fired all the writers and completely restarted the writing process because it just wasn't working the way they wanted it to. Yeah, yeah. Things are not all that well in the behind the scenes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe these days. We will see what happens if anything happens. Yeah. But back to this. You talked about the, the little bromance between Jack and Ted. I want to talk about... I didn't about, talk about the bromance. I just called it a straight-up romance. But I wanted to talk about the other side of the coin here is the odd relationship between Elsa and his and her stepmother. Because, I mean, like, I think it's an evil stepmother situation. Like, she comes home, her father has died. Like, she hadn't seen her father in, they, I assume, I think it's 20 years, they say. Yeah. So, she comes back, she only comes back home after he's dead, which she kind of calls him out on. She kind of calls Elsa out on, and then it's like, oh, you want your birthright. Well, you gotta earn it. And it's like, it's clear that that these two do not like each other. Like, like they whatever relationship they had prior to her leaving was simply for the sake of, of Ulysses. We don't even know what happened, at least in this version of events. In the MCU, we don't know what happened to Elsa's mother. Was she killed by a monster? We don't know. Oh, you know what? At some point, he remarried, and stepmother doesn't seem to like Elsa all that much, especially for the fact that Elsa left. And as as a stepmother says, you know, you haven't been keeping up with your training. Well, I haven't been keeping up with my father's training. <laughs> so that itself is an interesting is an interesting uh, story thread is that obviously Ulysses has been training Elsa to be the new leader of the Bloodstone Guild or whatever this thing is called. And she just didn't want it to go off and do her own thing. 
I don't know. I feel like that could be a series somewhere down the line. Like there's so much there and yes, having Ulysses already be dead is, is, is I feel like a bit of a loss, but. Okay. Let's just point something out here. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Ulysses is dead, but. Are there giant air quotes around that, maybe? He turned his corpse into an animatronic. Well, he turned something into an animatronic. But look how dusty that thing was. And how kind of decayed. Like, how long have they been waiting to do this, like, hand over the bloodstone thing? This is a really important artifact. Don't you think they would have, like, gathered some people a little bit sooner than it looks like that corpse has been sitting around? Who knows? It, again, they never state like, how long he's been dead. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, she's like, oh, yeah, you've been gone for 20 years. And I gotta say, that corpse looks like it's been sitting around for 20 years. So you think that she left when her father died and then they decided 20 uh, years later? Uh, because because the thing is, is that, you know, evil stepmom keeps saying, like, your father always had hope you'd come back. But, like, so the thing is, like, he hasn't been dead for 20 years and they make it sound like he just died. And all the people are like, oh, you know, we're coming to pay respects to him. Like, they're they're making it sound like this is, like... He's recent... and this is the, the funeral or whatever. Mm. But like that thing is dusty as hell and like really desiccated. That thing's been sitting around for a while. So it's possible that Ulysses isn't even dead. I mean, I kind of feel like it's a possibility. I'm not saying is the truth, but it's if 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 Ulysses Bloodstone is still alive, he clearly didn't tell his wife. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Here's the thing, though, is that wife clearly wanted Elsa dead. Yep. Okay. Okay. Because like she makes it she makes it clear is that yes, she is here because she's Ulysses' daughter. She's getting a pass because she's Ulysses' daughter. But she will receive no special treatment. She's just, she's fair game as all of you. If you happen to kill her, oh well. And then she's like very much trying to murder her at the end. Yep. Because she wants, like if, I think that her plan was... To either kill everybody else and keep the bloodstone, or to have one of the other people, not Elsa, have the bloodstone and then just kind of control them. Because she seems she knows how to use the bloodstone. She uses it a, quite a few times in, in the in the second half of the special. And if Ulysses ha was still alive up until very recently. How does she know how to use it? Because he would have carried it on him the entire time. True. Unless he taught her how to use it. It's possible, again, Elsa's been gone for 20 years. 
he probably needed to teach someone how to use the bloodstone. I don't know. Though I do like in the black and white version, the bloodstone is the only color you see in the entire special up until the end. Yeah. I mean, I do like one of the things I like about the black and white version is that it's not entirely black and white. There are moments of color. Mm -hmm. And it is very specifically used. Yeah, you get the the bloodstone and also whatever the bloodstone reflects off of is in color. Yeah, and and the the magic it emits, you mm. know, that little red mist uh is in is in color as well. And um shout out to Eric Voss on New Rockstars because his his Easter egg video was where it got pointed out to me that the bloodstone is on screen but does not begin to glow red until Elsa walks in the room. They open the case for the bloodstone. People are walking around the bloodstone. They're like, ooh, look, bloodstone. And then Elsa walks in the room and the bloodstone lights up red. She is the rightful heir. And yeah, and it's because like, oh, look, I have recognized my rightful owner. You know, Queen Bee has walked in the room. <laughs> um, and at first you might think like on first viewing, you might think it's because Jack is coming near it. It's possible. Because he's about to touch it. But once you pay attention you notice that he is about to touch it and she walks in the room and it glows red for the audience and he's distracted by her entry and that's why he does not touch it at that point in time and does not get revealed to the rest of the group at that moment. Um, So she actually kind of saves both his life and Ted's life at the beginning of the the film just by walking in the room which is kind of fascinating to me as cool as it looks a tuba shooting out flames is not as cool as an electric guitar shooting out flames shout out mad max i don't know i like i kind of like the the flaming tuba (laughs) tuba of death yeah, I mean, I mean, tuba of death is probably going to kill the tuba player more than it's probably going to kill anybody else. <laughs> it is kind of interesting, and I like the idea that they they don't go for something else. Like I've seen bagpipes that shoot fire. And trombones to shoot fire. This was my first time seeing a tuba shoot fire. (laughs) So that was new for me. I will mention that uh, watching the colorized version for the first time, there are some scenes where they put some kind of filter on it to make it look like a colorized black and white movie. At least to me, that's how... 
there are some scenes that look like it. They intentionally made it look like a colorized black and white film, even though this technically was filmed in color. I I don't know if that was my eyes playing tricks on me after watching the because I watched the black and white version and the colored version back to back. So I don't know if that was just my eyes playing tricks on me or some clever, com, clever trickery and post effects. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was just you because. To me, it felt very similar. So I think that they they may have done something like that. I I don't know for sure. I would love to know for sure. I don't get it throughout the whole special, but they're like the beginning scenes definitely feel, or at least looks like a colorized black and white movie. Yeah, the the thing that that really got me is that some stuff feels very out of place in the colorized version. And the thing that feels most out of place to me are the cigar burns. In the black and white version, that little addition feels very organic to the film. You know, like, oh, we've gotten to the end of, you know, real one. You know, which is the end yeah. of Act One in the in the thing, and so you see the little you know cigar burn up at the top right, you know, for the theoretical projectionist to switch the reel. And in a black and white film, it it feels organic. Because if you watch enough black and white movies, even if you watch them on a streaming service or you know TCM or something blu-ray dvd that, you, that those kind of things those artifacts are just still preserved you know and and, and so it it's just your brain if you watch that sort of thing enough your brain just goes like yeah that's just part of the movie that's normal for this type and style of movie even even the early colored 60s movies would still have those, so... Yeah, but if you're watching something that is, like, a color film that now looks like, at least more like... I'm not saying that this movie, even in black and white, ever looked like, you know... A, 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 1930s. a, 19, a 1930s, 1940s universal film entirely but it looked more like that style and yeah and, and they keep it in the colorized version which yeah but if you're watching something that now in the colorized version looks very much more like this was shot on digital this was made within the last you know five to ten years this was made you know this is a 4k you know ultra high def you know whatever film now that artifice just like really pops out at you and all of a sudden it I found myself I'm not even sure I had realized in the black and white version that they were doing that. I've only noticed it one other time in a color movie, Planet Terror. Now granted that was a Tarantino movie and Tarantino loves the, those old school callbacks and which was done intentionally for a joke in the movie. 
the real missing joke in, in, in the movie. But this this is not a comedy. This is not satire. This was done to be a straight homage to old school horror. So the color in the color version, it does stand out. It does kind of take you out of out of the world that this is supposed to be in. Whereas the black and white version, you can see what the style they're going for. That to me was one of the things that brought me out of it. Um, and there's also the ending, the ending where it goes from black and white to color with somewhere over the rainbow from the wizard of Oz playing as the movie goes from black and white to color coming from the bloodstone, which I did like that effect. Yeah. But is that lost in the color version? I think it is because even in the, in the black and white version, when it switch, when it switches to color, Elsa actually looks around like she's noticing it. It's still there. That move around the head that i Hey, something's different now. It's still in the color version. We just lose the transition from black and white to color. I, I do feel it it loses something with 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 the with the color version in in that regard. Yeah, I agree with you on that. The somewhere over the rainbow was a little heavy handed up in what they were trying in the message that they were trying to tell, like much like the Wizard of Oz going from black and white to color. This is a different world. This is something completely different. So it's also have, supposed to have that same effect that the Bloodstone Manor is now completely different because Elsa has the Bloodstone in her hand. As opposed to being in anyone else's hand, much less her stepmother. Who but, Ted was very kind to take out. <laughs> I love that they, it, it's not explained. Granted, it's not explained, but. Yeah, man thinks power, or one of his powers, is that he will burn, his touch will burn anyone that knows fear. So as she's obviously scared for her life as man thing is approaching her, that touch burn. It's also it also explains why Jack told Elsa, treat Ted like he's your old friend. As a way to say, don't be afraid around him or he'll kill you. Yeah. Ted, hello, Ted. It's a nice name. Your friend's waiting for you. Yeah. Don't, again, all this stuff having to do with Man-Thing comes across much better in color. Because the, the, burning acid, the acid burn effect of Man-Thing's touch looks so good in color. Yes, it does. I mean, it just that that effect is amazing. And the charred body remains. Yeah. And shout out to Kirk Thatcher. We haven't mentioned Kirk Thatcher yet as Jovan the Hunter. Mm. That was the first time I noticed that it looked like a colorized film when whatever makeup or whatever filter they put on him. For the for the color version, that's what makes me notice. Like, wait, something's off. <laughs> this doesn't look like a film in color. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I just, 
you know, we we always gotta give him a shout out because he's so awesome. Yeah. Um, good to. T- it was so great to see him in this with his like funky Scottish accent. Um, and he gets the wonderful distinction of being the first person killed by man thing in the MCU. <laughs> I don't know. It's like I I I. I want more of these characters, but I don't know if I want a movie with these characters. Do you know how weird that sounds? It's it's like, I know a lot of people after watching this wanted a man thing movie or something like that. But it's like, I, I don't know if I want a man thing movie or at least another man thing movie. Well, yeah, I, I kind of like the idea of just kind of random specials. Like, not necessarily on any kind of schedule, but I do like the idea of when when we can. Not every Marvel character needs its own movie or needs a full series TV show. And, I, and so just these one-off movies, or at least a series of one-hour specials, over the course of whatever many years, I can be satisfied with that. Like, I don't need a Werewolf by Night full movie, but if I got another special every three to four years that tells me what these characters have been up to, I'd be okay with that. A Elsa Bloodstone special, a one-off, you know, one-off Man-Thing special. Well... Werewolf by Night, this this particular one happened because uh, Michael Cicchino wanted to direct something in the MCU. And so Feige was like, well, you know, what, what Marvel character are you interested in? And he was like, Werewolf by Night. And Feige was like, the what now? Like no no nobody cares about that, and he was like, "No, I, I've got a good idea for it," and it was a good idea. Yeah. Um, and so they did it, and I think that if slash when somebody shows up and they're like, "Hey, here is good idea," I think you should you know, jump on good idea. But I don't think that you should be like, oh, look, it is the time for another werewolf by night. Make someone write a werewolf by night. Like, can we not do that? That I can agree with. Like, if somebody shows up and goes, hey, I've got an idea for a Man-Thing movie. Is it good? Let's look at it. This is good. We will make this. I would rather that than like, now is time on schedule for man thing. Make man thing. Like, I I don't want that. You know? I mean, I think that's also what led to what led so many to the Marvel burnout. It's just movies... It becomes less of what's the next big adventure to, well, it's time for the next blah adventure. It's time for the next this adventure. It's getting time for the next team up. 
But these one-off specials, I, I want more of them. Like I said, not everyone deserves their own movie. Sorry to anyone who may want their Mojo movie or their... Uh, I can't even think of a random character. Yeah. You know, uh, Arcade. If you want an, a Marvel Arcade movie, uh, no. But a one-off Arcade special or one-off... Bullseye special, I don't know. I guess I'm just grabbing random Marvel characters that I know in my head. I mean, we know at least one person who would would like a Beta Ray Bill series or something, you know? Like, a movie, yeah. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't mind a one-off Beta Ray Bill one-hour special, because I don't think he's ever going to get a movie. So I'm okay with that. Like, give us the occasional one one hour special, and to tell a good story, an interesting story. Because this one says you can do a one off, and it can be really good. My only concern is that since Marvel is obsessed over the whole everything fits together, uh, everything you know, like it, it all comes together at the end. How are they going to shoehorn the supernatural characters into a situation where they may not fit? Yeah. Like, I'd be cool if if they didn't already set up the next Doctor Strange movie that maybe having Elsa in it in a in a small role, maybe. But I still feel even in that situation, it's forcing it. Yeah. So I'm okay with this being a one-off. If, if if this is just a one-off, I'm okay with it. And I kind of want more of these one-offs. Give me a one-off, one-hour special every... Ideally every year. I wouldn't mind that. But if that's not in the plans, so be it. I mean, we got two last year. We got this in the Guardians Holiday Special. I I don't want them to just be known as holiday specials either, because I don't want Okay, you know what? It's kind of my head. The Deadpool Easter special might actually be cool, but let's not go there yet. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Give me a one-hour Gwenpool special, and I'm okay. You don't need to give me a movie. You don't need to give me a, ser a series. I'm cool with that. Yeah, and, and Squirrel Girl, at the very least, deserves, like, you know... Something. You know, a live-action special. We have a couple of actresses that could play her. Yeah. So, a, a one-off, one-hour, un unbeatable Squirrel Girl special? Cool. I'll take it. Yeah. If, again, if they can get their deal with the actors straight, and, and if they can get their, their, you know, we've been hearing news about the writers, you know, the, the, the news stories of... of you know, writers now being more a part of the creation process versus Feige and the executives, which, you know, should have been that way from the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, let's let's wrap this up here. So, Kiki, does Werewolf by Night, the black and white or color version, have the magic? I think it has the magic, and I think I prefer the black and white version. I'm going to agree with you. This story has the magic. I prefer the black and white version. I can understand that the color version might appeal to a wider audience. 
but the throwback style of the black and white version, especially, and I never, we didn't get, I forgot to talk about this, but the cinematography, the cinematography in the black and white version, in both versions, obviously, is such a great homage to the 1930s Universal Horror movie, the same camera cuts, the king camera styles, the in the shadows transformation of the werewolf. It's just such a great homage, and it just, it works better in the black and white version for me. If you prefer the color version, more power to you. But for me personally, this works better in the black and white version. The only thing I will say that I like better in color is the stuff with man thing. Because that character design just shines in color. Like you can see all of the, the detail in that but you know i will say just absolute all praise to michael Chikino because you do not really find where a a composer goes into directing like that's a really weird jump but nailed it Definitely nailed it. I, I mean, this was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen as far as like when they were like when when he when he started talking on Twitter about like, well, I'm going to be making my like, you know, big directorial, directorial debut in the MCU and it's going to be Werewolf by Night and it's going to be a horror thing and it's going to be. And I was like, OK, I'm not sure how this is going to work. But I dig you, like, as a person, so I'm going to give you a lot of leeway. And then I watched it, and I was like, okay, you, you know your stuff. Like, bravo. <laughs> that, was, that was incredible. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what else he does as soon as the studios get their heads out of their butts and uh, give the actors the deal they've asked for. Yeah. When... Multiverse of Madness came out. Sam Raimi said that it was going to be Marvel's first horror movie. And I never really got that in that movie other than a zombie Doctor Strange. This really feels horror. This, even though it's not as violent or as gory as some people may expect their horror movies to be, this is the true homage to a horror movie. This feel this is this is Marvel's first horror movie and it's only an hour long. Yeah. At this point Sam Raimi can only homage Sam Raimi, so you know. Yeah. Michael Giacchino really nailed it with actually homaging like classic horror. So yeah, it's 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 definitely worth the watch. Again, watch whatever whatever version that that appeals to you. If if you want if you like the black and white version, great. If you appeal more to the color version, that's cool too. This is a really great story and it should be enjoyed by as many people as possible. So, yeah, Werewolf by Night. So, let's move on to next week. Next week, Kiki, it is time to get back into the TARDIS. For an entire month of Doctor Who episodes. Because we are, as of this recording, one month away from the 60th anniversary. 
So we are going to wrap up our retrospective on Doctor Who. Four weeks of Doctor Who episodes. Wrapping up and talking about every on-screen Doctor. Whew. What a long, strange TARDIS ride it's been. Yep. So next week we are picking back up where we left off with the 12th Doctor, Peter Capaldi. And that is going to be so much fun. He was such a good doctor. And I can't wait to go back and talk about him. Yeah. So come back next week for our month-long Doctor Who retrospective wrap-up. 12th Doctor, Peter Capaldi next week. And we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Rewatching the Magic. We are on the X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at aclu.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.